Hey everybody, welcome to episode 284 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Hami Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So we have some, a couple of things on fact check. Um, last week I mentioned about the height of the X-Serve, and I've got a link here to the uh, specs from uh, Apple's knowledge base. Uh, it was actually, I said an inch and a quarter. It's actually an inch. 1.73 inches is, is the height of the X-Serve, which is one, one rack unit, as they call it. So that's 4.4 centimeters for those who are not driving through the United States. Um, and, what did you say it uh, was last time? Uh, I said an inch and a quarter, but because I, I was just roughly guessing. It's, it's closer to two inches. It's an inch and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, 17.6 inches wide by 30 inches deep. So you need a deep rack for this guy. And uh, fix on a standard 19, 19 inch rack, which is where the new Mac Pro will fit in the rack mount configuration as well. I also mentioned about tax forms that those of us who make income in the United States but don't live in the United States, we have to fill out a W-8-B-E-N tax form, and that's submitted by foreign persons who receive certain types of income in the United States and that kind of stuff. So we just have to, even though, like, for instance, I make some money in the States, I have to file, I have to claim that I'm paying tax in Canada and submit every year for that purpose, like selling um, Apple, selling Apple apps through Apple and that kind of stuff. So you have, um, to, you have to submit that form to the U.S. government or the Canadian government? U.S. U.S. Oh. Yeah. Um, or if I work for any American company... You know who you're making. Mm-hmm. You can think, probably think of one that I work for that uh, I get paid in U.S. dollars. But anyway, um, the last one that I had here in the fact check, I was telling Jaime about uh, his. Uh, maybe we'll do a follow up later on to find out how his uh, his um, transfer went to his new machine. And I mentioned getting an Apple Thunderbolt adapter, but it's actually the Apple Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter. So it's the USB C to U- USB two technically. Um, I mentioned the, the the ends. It's actually the way around. I set it backwards. The male end is actually USB C, so it plugs into your new Mac and the female end takes uh, a, it's a DisplayPort style uh, outlet and it takes a Thunderbolt 2 cable so uh, you would need a Thunderbolt 2 cable and um, this adapter to be able to make the two connect to Thunderbolt and have your short low short area network to be able to transfer your data from one to the other and I've got a link to Apple's website for that particular product and like uh, so for instance I have a I have a Thunderbolt display here or I actually have a DisplayPort display which is the one before a Thunderbolt display um, and I use it to plug I use a Thunderbolt connector to plug into my, into my uh, MacBook Air, uh, but when I get my uh, my next Mac will be USB-C, I will need to use this particular adapter to connect my Thunderbolt display to my um, new Mac. So there you go. All right, um, so on the follow-up, I have uh, an article here that talks about YouTube Music um, Premium, which is a new service if you've been doing anything on YouTube. Every, every couple of days you go in to look at something on YouTube, you get this, uh, hey, do you want to try YouTube Music out? To which the answer for me is always no. Um, but surprisingly, uh, YouTube Music has managed to get themselves 20 million paying subscribers. So 20 million people so far have said yes to that particular answer. But the reason I posted this in here is it also has some other interesting stats for other companies we've talked about regarding this. It's a very, it's a very short article. Um, yeah, so YouTube has... 
Uh, in May 2019, they reported that they had 15 million subscribers, so they've grown by 5 million. But it also mentions here that uh, Apple is sitting at 60 million subscribers, and Spotify is sitting is in the lead at 108 million paying subscribers. So in terms of listening to music on your devices, um, Spotify is still in the lead. Looks like Apple's catching up, and uh, YouTube's got some work to do. I mean, it's clearly the. It's hard to even call it the wave of the future. It just sort of seems the the reality of mm. subscribing to things, um, mm-hmm. subscribing to content, subscribing to apps, games, that sort of thing, and subscribing to music. Seems like it's not winner take all, right? So Spotify, regardless of its uh, issues and that it's had with you know fighting Apple and stuff, um, it's doing pretty well. It's continuing to grow, continuing to have paying subscribers while Apple Music is growing, YouTube Music is growing, uh, Amazon Prime Music, whatever they call it, is growing. Like every, the whole market is is growing there. So more and more competition, which just seems like a good thing to me. Yeah. So how long has YouTube had music been around? So roughly a year, I guess. Right. And obviously, I think it also points to the fact that subscriptions is is obviously a, a sort of can I say winning business model? It seems to be a good business model for a lot of companies, right? Large and small. Yeah, I think it's not the you know the end all be all. It's not the only choice that will make sense for businesses, but it certainly seems like there's a lot of viability behind it. Yeah, there's money on the table, as you like to say. All right. Um, yeah. So we've got bitten by this uh, little bug here uh, last week. So I mean, which lead us into this one? Yeah, and the reason I bring this one up isn't to to really dig at Microsoft so much as it is to provide a public service announcement, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, the the article here is about Microsoft Teams. They're rough equivalent to Slack and Zoom, if you think of it that way, maybe a little bit of Dropbox, um, went down, the whole service was down because the fine folks at Microsoft forgot to renew one of their certificates. So HTTPS connections mm. were not a go. And that's unfortunate. And they, they fixed the thing reasonably quickly, considering how carefully you want to do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the public service announcement is, this is not the first time in my career that I've seen this sort of thing happen. Um, so you might want to put a little reminder there. Yeah. You're, you're bug your ops folks. Setting. Like, hey, this thing needs to be renewed. Or something near and dear to probably a lot of the folks that listen to this show. How many of you are out there who have worked on teams that um, uh, iOS development teams where you are not the team agent, meaning you cannot be the one who accepts the yay rarely I sign my life away to Apple's terms and conditions to continue in the developer program? And how many of you have been sweating it out trying to get your boss or your CEO or CEO? whoever it is, depending on how big your company is, to do that. Might want to add that to uh, to your reminders as well with a little bit of lead time. So vacations and sickness and other things can be taken care of. So can you say, hey, Dingus, set a reminder for this date? Give yourself like a week to wrangle that certificate? You probably could. Or, I mean, I would try to throw this like on a group calendar of some sort that everybody's subscribed to. Um, you know, things like Slack and presumably Teams, I don't actually know, can do the, um, you know, reminders sort of things. I, I think having Having some sort of calendar would be good where you can just sort of look and say, oh my gosh, this is coming up in the next 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, whatever. Yeah, I know for my certificates, I have reminders that pop up on my calendars and stuff like that. And hopefully I don't silence them or accidentally, you know, hit the uh, the notification when it pops up and dismiss it by accident. But never why can't we just say, hey, Siri, renew my certificate for me? Well, that's sort of, hey, dingus, that's why I said that. (laughs) Oh, renew my certificate. Yeah, that would be even better, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I was was Teaching, trying to teach Carol how to unlock the door the other day at home with using Siri, and I and I decided I'd like to do this. I haven't haven't really you know gotten the nerve to do it, but I want to change the front door to the pod bay door. So like the hey, followed by the word Siri, open the pod bay door. No, okay. You're oh, you're just God. waiting for the universe to give you some karmic karmic <laughs> problems. <laughs> 
I guess. I guess. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I wonder if somebody could standing beside you could, you know, tell Siri to unlock your door. Would she do it? You know? Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Because anybody can stand beside you and, and incant the, the magic words and get your device to respond, right? Is that like not the case? Or does, does Siri imprint itself on you? There is the imprinting stuff that the assistants, besides just Siri, will do. But that's not, you know, depending on your threat model, that's not the perfect vector. I will go ever so slightly into Spock cast territory. But many people might mm-hmm. remember the Star Trek The Next Generation episode where Lieutenant Commander Data impersonates Captain Picard and takes over the Enterprise. Oh, really? <laughs> and if you put two and two together there, what would keep me from doing the same thing by just recording you, for example, Tim, making the incantation and then just repeating it when you're not there? Mm. Or playing the podcast when you're walking by my house, yeah. Because we have been said that in the past. Anyway, all right. At least I'll know. I'll be narrow, narrow it down to a subscriber who uh, who managed to break into my house and steal all my stuff. Anyway, all right. Um, so, uh, speaking, we've been talking about uh, AI and uh, things like that there, um, uh, and ethical AI. And there was an interesting talk on uh, Spark, which is one of the, the shows I listen to, um, CBC Radio's uh, tech technology um, podcast slash radio show. It's on Sundays. Uh, they were talking to an author, um, uh, Ramesh Trevanathan, uh, who's an author of a book called Beyond the Valley. And it looks at, or it's got a subtitle here, how the innovators around the world are overcoming inequality and creating the technology of tomorrow. And it was an interesting thing, you know, one example we were talking about, you know, with AIs being give, being fed, like the, the issue for third people not in the first world is that uh, the AIs are being taught with data through, you know, with, with um, you know, in Southern California or whatever, or on Google or whatever, and um, not to point any fingers, but uh, like, you know, examples, he said, like, you know, if you, if you search for gorillas uh, in, in your AIs, you may come up with, you know, African-American people, um, or if you ask uh, um, to identify a picture of Oprah or Serena Williams or Michelle Obama, they may be recognized as male because of a bias that's in the, the coding, right? Um, and issues like, you know, using these AIs in, in uh, Asia and that kind of stuff, you know, don't have a bent towards that. Other th- interesting things in the show that you were talking about, what, or in this book, which I, I'm recommending the book, by the way, is um, that, you know, countries like in Africa, they have taken over, uh, they've taken, reclaiming, you know, broken down uh, equipment that we've been throwing out and creating their own 3D printers with them. And, you know, um, in some cases, the 3D printers are, they're making are better than the ones you could buy from the big stores, right? Or the big the big uh, 3D printer places. But it's an interesting discussion on um, how um, the, uh, in Canada, I don't know about the United States, is it Black History Month in Canada, in the United States in February? You guys That's know? correct. Yeah. So it was it's sort of centered around that sort of theme and um, talking about how the, you know, because I'm looking here in the art, it was in, somebody earlier in the show talking about author of a, a book called Black Software, um, Internet and Racial Justice and, and Afronet um, and Black Lives Matter. But uh, yeah, so interesting uh, podcast episode. I highly recommend it. I've got a link here to uh, Breaker, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, a, I thought it was a fascinating talk about, to hear uh, this gentleman talk in his Beyond the Valley book about uh, about how the biases that are, or the way AI works in other parts of the world and, and how things have to be get, you know, have to get changed to, you know, get rid of biases and things like that are just, you know, in there because of that's where the data is coming from. Like, not, I hate to tell you guys this, but not everybody lives in the United States of America, right? So, um, and that could be, be a problem. Anyway, so recommend the book. Why is Beyond there a the picture Valley. of Tina Fey when you click on the link? 
Do you get a picture <laughs> of Tina today? That is a picture of Nora. Um, Nora, and I've lost her name. She's the host of... Uh, um, oh, yeah, you're right. No, I, when I zoom in, it's not Tina Fey. Tina Fey. It was a small picture, but it looks like her. No. Man, she's um, Nora3000 on Twitter. Hmm. Nora Young, sorry. Nora Young um, is the host of um, of Spark, which is the name of the, the radio show that's on okay. BBC. And it's a podcast, which you can subscribe to as well. And I highly recommend it. It's very good. Is she the Canadian um, Tina Fey? She's the Canadian... Hmm. You know who Amber MacArthur is? Have you ever heard of her? Nope. No, she's another another pun, tech, tech pundit here in Canada. Um, who would I compare her to? I don't know, name, name a tech pundit in, in uh, the United States. Kara Swisher? O'Brien. Who? Kara Swisher? Maybe I don't know who that is. <laughs> You don't know her? Touche. Yes. Kind of famous. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Nora, Nora Young has been, uh, she's been a host on this, of this particular show uh, for many, many years. And ABC. Anyway. Um, well, I mean, s- sidebar here. Back in the back in the day, Sunday afternoons used to play opera music on CBC Radio 1 or 2, which is our, our um, sort of more FM type uh, radio station. Although, fast forward, all both of the stations are on, on FM these days. So, you know, Sunday afternoon would play, would play opera and uh, she used to host host a sort of pop culture show on Sunday afternoons called Definitely Not the Opera. And that was on the other. So she was the host of DNTO for a long time. And then she moved over to Spark when internet and everything came along. There you go. Uh, Jaime, you have something for us in the follow-up? Yeah, this is a little bit of follow-up to any random time. Just pick one that we've talked about, iCloud, uh-huh. as Apple has apparently updated iCloud.com, the popular uh-huh. mobile website. So Ooh. you've uh, apparently, I didn't either didn't know this or knew it and forgot it, that you could access the iCloud.com website and get access to uh, photos, notes, reminders, and find iPhone. Apparently, you would really just get a janky experience yeah. and it would be the desktop Site, but now it's mobile friendly. Oh, so it's responsive and things like that. Yeah, I go to iCloud.com every now and then on, on Safari on my desktop. I didn't realize that they've. This is nice that they've got it now working working from here. Because it'd be nice to be able to go to like Find My Mac. Because that does that work on here or Find My Phone on? It says Find iPhone. I assume that handles all of the Find stuff. I don't. I don't think they're separate. Let's go to iCloud. Let's real time follow up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because I because I've done, tried to do it before and it, it always used to forward like not work. It would send me back to like a, I'm talking about an iOS device. It would send me back to uh, something else. Yeah, and it's asking me if I want to sign in. Sure. Using it's, It popped up a, like a modal dialogue across the bottom. And look at that. There's my good evening, Tim site. Where's the menu? I can do account settings. Wait, there's no hamburger menu. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can look at photos. I can look at notes and I can do the find my phone stuff. Interesting. Cool. And reminders. I, is that actually there? That's what it shows here in this article. Uh, you know, no, I'm not seeing that. It's just, so you only have three I, options? This is why I kind of went looking for the, uh, for, yeah, I've only got three options. That's what I was looking for the um maybe i don't have a reminder syncing to the cloud that's probably what it is yeah that's probably what it is you probably have to choose to do that with your uh, your settings on your mac but yeah that's cool i'm glad they did that because I've, I've often want to just use my iPod, like my ipad and or my iphone and just go there and check stuff out not, not be presented with like you said a janky site right nice all right so off to the uh multitasking rant rants yeah this week it seems like multitasking on ipad has become the uh, the crisis du jour and you know i can't really and this is me speaking personally, I really can't disagree with that because I feel like I'm a reasonably intelligent person. I'm reasonably mm-hmm. tech savvy and very specifically pretty knowledgeable about iOS as a user. Mm-hmm. And yet I find myself more often than not getting horribly confused by the multitasking on iPad, uh, specifically on iOS 13. Right. Uh, I feel like I liked it 
better in 11 or 12 whenever it started, even though it also had a little bit of room to grow. Um, it feels like now more often than not, I'm accidentally triggering the multitasking where I'm like this close. I'm one bad incident away from just going into settings and disabling the multi-window capability for, for Safari. And it was a really good time, I think, to, to listen to discussion about this. But I'm actually pretty intrigued by this idea that uh, Renee Ritchie has put forth in this YouTube video, which we'll hopefully have in the show notes for those of you driving at home. And if you, it's about 10 minutes, but the thing I think is pretty interesting is around six-ish minutes, he shows sort of his idea of how you would do multitasking. And it seems like it fills the gap that I was looking for from iOS 12. So if you don't remember 11, 12, the multitasking would be sort of, you know, swipe from the, the right-hand edge. You'd be able to drag out an app, you know, maybe have Safari and Twitter side by side or something. And then if you wanted to change to another app, okay, well, you had to deal with the fact that you had to sort of just look through the list of apps. It was kind of like scrolling vertically on your Apple Watch. I assume there was some sort of rhyme or reason to the list of apps, but it always struck me as, wow, why can't I just search for the dang things like I could with Spotlight if I was on the home screen? And that's more or less what Raymond A. Ritchie's talking about here. Like, hey, why don't you have a window? And then the other window for the multitasking is literally just the home screen where you can use the same experience you're used to to go find another app to have active and available. Right, right. And to right. me, that's so blindingly obvious that it's brilliant. I love this idea. I fully support this idea. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when I'm navigating my iPad, I, I tend to like double click the home button to go back. Mind you, I have a home button on my iPad uh, to go back um, to, the, to the springboard or I swipe up from the bottom, right, to, to bring up that mini dock or even go to that sort of multi, what do you call that, mission control kind of view, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't don't have too much trouble with, I don't know, maybe I'm not using my iPad as much as you guys are, but uh, I don't really have a huge issue with, uh, I, I guess I don't really use MultiFinder that much, right, or the multi multitasking, multitasking. experience that much. I do have to admit yeah. when I when iOS 13 first came out and I first started using it, I would open up a second app and so have two side by side and not, yeah. could not for the life of me figure out how to dismiss that yeah. second one. Yeah. It was yeah. it was really hard to figure out. And yeah, you have to you know, drag one over the top of the other and let it go all the way to the end, right? Yeah, and and it's multiple gestures to dismiss it, which is which is really kind of a pain. Yeah, I mean that's generally that I, I don't know if I would point that at iOS or iPad OS alone because I I've, oh, I iOS also has an overabundance of gestures. Like, it's just nuts. I mean, like, sometimes I just want to copy a piece of text and it pops up a little, you know, contextual pop-up and then it wants you, like, if you want to, if I click on a link, God forbid you click on a link and you just want to copy the link. There's no, you know, it, there's just like, you know, it's swiping to the left and top and bottom and it's just, you know, it's it's just a mess in general, right? Um, it's like they're, they're overcomplicating our lives. And, and they're moving away from the paradigms that they've beaten into us over the last 10 years. You know, I have to have a closed box or you have to open things modally from the bottom or whatever, right? Um, like if you're disrupting the experience, you have this modal that pops up and then you have to dismiss it to get back to where you were. Um, they're breaking these flows and giving us all these extra tools and things like that just, just make our lives, you know, awkward in hell. And I mean, text selecting al- alone, I think I'm not alone in saying text selecting in, in uh, iOS 13 is, or any flavor of iOS 13 is is a disaster at this point. But yeah, I mean, the, the multitasking is just, I think it's just, I don't think it's just mu- isolated to just multitasking. I think it's just in general, iOS 13 is, is a bit of a hot mess in that. And and it's like, we're holding it wrong, clearly, right? Because we're obviously not doing what Apple th- thinks we should be doing. Yeah, I think part of the thing that uh, Rene Ritchie covers here is the certainly there are issues with discoverability for some of these gestures that are, yeah. that are pretty important, right? Like multitasking, you know, having multiple windows is, is a pretty important thing that if 
you are looking for that capability, you should be able to relatively easily find it. And even if like in my case, you kind of have to train yourself a little bit of how to even get started, it should be pretty usable from the get go. And the, the problem besides just the too many special gestures that all are all trying to evaluate and compete for your time and attention. Um, and, and the difference between one or the other is very, very slight with severe consequences. It also, uh, goes against sort of the simplicity of like just repeating the same pattern that you're used to. And that's what I like about Rene Ritchie's proposed solution that you continue to use the same pattern you're used to of, Oh, there's a home screen and I can find an app, you know, just by browsing or by searching, which is my preference and use it. Nothing really to remember there. And right, yeah. when it comes to gestures, I think the reason I end up accidentally triggering, you know, the multiple windows thing is because I don't know, my hand is slightly greasy in some way. And I, you know, trying to open a link in a new tab, most likely, or trying to get the, uh, the preview and I accidentally slip, you know, what couldn't be more than a millimeter or two. And the multi-gesture recognizing is like, oh, I bet you they wanted to drag and drop this <laughs> into a, a multiple window scenario. Like, no, I clearly didn't. But uh, yeah, now I am stuck having to go, ironically, use Safari to go search and figure out how the heck do I get myself out of this situation? Because I can't <laughs> figure out what the dang magic incantation is to stop it. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, I mean, yeah, I almost want to shake to undo to get rid of the whatever gesture you just did, right? Like you can do this thing on the finder too. Like, you know, if you accidentally grab a folder and drag it inside another one, then at least the finder has undo, right? You can just go at command Z and it undoes whatever last thing you did was, right? Um, yeah, there seems to be, there's, <laughs> there just doesn't seem to be enough undos on the iPad, right? For these miracle gestures. Like I can't tell you like two or three times today, you know, I was trying to reach the top of the phone and notifications kept flying in, right? And a couple of times, you know, I got tripped up and went over to follow the lead that the notification was doing it only to have to grumble at the phone and dismiss and go back to the what I was trying to do right so that's what I, that's what I mean there's just too much going on on these devices these days okay boomer <laughs> you know even if we didn't take uh, age into consideration which you know your, your joke sort of goes at I'll give tons of credit for Rene Ritchie bringing up the accessibility issue so even if you were oh, yeah. Gen Z but you have mobility issues you know motor ability issues um, these gestures are really hard to, to deal with and I'm sure that even even with the assistance of the um, the accessibility options, it's probably not much easier than what I'm dealing with now. Yeah, I'll tell you that our, our accessibility team at, at, at the large corporation I work at, they um, they get on our case about, like, you know, not being accessible in our in our own UI design, right? Like, sometimes we will build something that somebody can't get out of, you know? Um, and we, we're often challenged with, with uh, making sure that, uh, that that's addressed. It's one of my, one of my bugaboos when I, when I talk about any new ticket or job or whatever it's coming in is that make sure that you're taking accessibility into consideration. And for some reason, for those of us who are doing it, and I'm lumping all of us into this together, we kind of think of that last. But yeah, you're right. This would be a disaster if uh, if you had a visual impairment or auditorial impairment, right? Or even just being able to use gestures in general, right? Because there are people who use these devices who, who don't have the facilities of fingers and what have you. I mean, that's where the, I guess, the voice control came in um, this year, right? Yeah, I think I think so. That's a whole nother ball of wax accessibility, especially with this, this new nonsense, right? 
Yeah, what can you do? All right, uh, what's next? Next one is apparently Apple's WebKit team is proposing a standardized format for SMS one-time passcodes. Mm -hmm. So the the proposal is there in this linked article. Uh, Basically, here is the passcode. This is the website it's dealing with. And then a, a newer thing that makes it easier for machine processing to deal with in a more reliable way of, you know, at website.com and then your, you know, pound passcode. And the idea being that it works kind of similar to the way that URL schemes work and the way you can have things sort of magically work as you register for those. So the idea is to make it easier for users to to read and understand what did this SMS come in? Is, is this a legit passcode? Which website does this deal with? And also on the processing side for something like Safari WebKit to deal with, is this passcode a legitimate one? And I'm sure there must be some sort of you know magic that goes under the covers for like if you've ever gotten one of these uh, two-factor authentication SMS passcodes before and you're sitting in a text box and you see the code come in and the keyboard suggestions magically knows, oh, this yeah. passcode thing is, do you want me to apply that? Cool. I'll just press the button and it does it. And it's cool. But apparently that can be more of a hassle than it really needs to be to, to parse and, and have that magic be happening. So this is, I think, why the WebKit team at Apple has proposed this to make it easier for everybody by having this standard. So you're saying that this would be not just restrict like the way it works on iOS would, would be similar to how it would work elsewhere, like in the Safari browser on the desktop and things like that. Is that what you mean? That's my understanding that this would, I mean, this could, you know, if it's handled by the, the major browser makers, it would not be simply just magic that Safari could do uh, or that Apple could do. Uh, yeah. My understanding is that there's also, um, it'll also be a little bit easier to um, prevent fake stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if the magic is being handled and it's recognizing very similar to the way URL schemes make it more difficult but not impossible to uh, to have bad things happen and for bad actors coming in and trying to intercept stuff. I mean, yeah. This is not my area of expertise, but on the face of it, it seems pretty sensible to me as a, you know, why not just standardize this stuff? Yeah. Have you heard, have you heard uh, just a sidebar here, somebody told me the story or I heard about this the other day that, that people have had their SIM cards or their, their, their phone number stolen and then that gives somebody access to receive an SMS to unlock a a site like let's say apple.com or whatever and then um because they get because they're using sms as as the two-factor authentication you know somebody whoever has your cell phone number is the one who gets the who receives the text message that unlocks your your stuff and people have had their accounts drained and things like that right that's it's called sim like jacking is what you're referring to mm-hmm. yeah sim jacking yeah 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 because yeah. i because I, I i know of a gentleman um friend of mine who's always saying that that sms two-factor authentication is like the worst because i think it's probably because of something like this that that it's, it's easily exploited, right? You know, it definitely depends on your threat model. I, I do think things uh, like authenticator apps are a better solution. Um, but even though the SMS uh, security, such as it is, depends, and I don't know if this is true out, outside of the United States, but certainly within the United States, you, you largely just need to convince the uh, poor individual on the support line at your mobile provider, you know, the, the poor support person at, you know, Cricket. They're like, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm totally not a scammer. I try to switch phones and bad things happen. Please, 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 you know, switch this over. Um, maybe even using enough information about you to convince the person that you are actually the person you claim to be. Yeah. Um, that's mm. still better than uh, nothing. Oh, yeah, just yes. username and password, <laughs> which, yeah. you yeah. know, if, if that stuff gets out there, it's like, well, I would kind of hope the system would realize it couldn't simultaneously be in Seattle and Zimbabwe, but uh, there would be nothing 
nothing to prevent that, right? Like it's it's layers yeah. and degrees, and and even though some things are better than others, I don't think it's completely pointless to have the uh, the SMS option because it's it's non trivial to go to the authenticator route for people developing services. Yeah, that's true for us on, on the developer side for sure, and it's difficult and and, and can be for people using them too, right? Because I mean, right now I'm working with um, three or four authenticators. I'm trying to center standardize on the one password because that seems to have a pretty good flow. Um, and, you know, again, like I think we, we've talked about this in a show before that you can, because it's a subscription thing, you can have it on multiple devices and you have to have one, you know, book of record device that's your your uh, key to unlock, right? Um, it's interesting, like there's, uh, I'm also following, I don't know if you follow this at all, but the discussions about like getting rid of username and password as as the way of authenticating people altogether, you know? Um, is that where that YubiKey thing is coming in from? or It is an aspect. It's not necessarily the case. I think we talked about the WebAuthn as an example um, that that does have a passwordless right. option. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's. I mean, even if scammer in Antarctica was trying to pretend that they were me, uh, if they didn't have the actual key that proves you know that I, I have something that that proclaims me to be me, they'd be out of luck. The downside being that if I don't have multiples of those keys and can make sure that they're distributed in some way that like an earthquake doesn't, you know, eliminate all access to it. Um, I myself, it will be so secure that even I can't get into my own account stuff. Right. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's the, the, the trade off there. Yeah. I've, I've got, I've, I know I've, I've been locked out of things on, on many occasions for weeks at a time. Sometimes uh, Apple used to have a, a, a thing where if you forgot your, if you logged in incorrectly, they used to lock your account and then you had to use your, you know, your questions three to get back in. And I'd forgotten what answers I put in because I put them in like five or six years before I needed them. <laughs> and so for about a week there, I was locked out of my own Apple ID account back when I was a reseller. But, uh, and then recently, I, I, I still struggle with this, uh, the way Alatsian does it, because Bitcode now uses Alatsian's login to authenticate you and not Bitcode, Bit, 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 Bitbucket, right? Bitbucket. Um, yeah. And, and I often, it's getting better, but for about six months there, it was kind of janky the way they had it set up and I would constantly get locked out of my Bit, Bitbucket. Um, but, uh, so, I think we talked about this on the show before. We're, we're moving towards a thing in Canada called digital ID. Are you guys using something like that? Is there something like that in the United States where like our government accounts, like our tax accounts are tied to our bank accounts and all the banks got together and came up with a standard, which, you know, kind of has its own foibles, but there's a standard, like this one standard that all four of the major banks and maybe, uh, maybe all the banks, there are more than just four, but the four main ones are all using this system where you can use your bank authentication to unlock your, your identity on other place in other services like the like your government account or whatever right is there anything like that in in the works what, down what do you in the mean States by anywhere? by your government account what's that well so we, <laughs> we, we, we were talking about this before like Jaime and I were talking about on, on Slack earlier about you know we, like I keep getting these messages on my phone like written in really badly written English and usually read to me by a computer telling me that you know the IRS is coming after me or, the, or there's some legal case against me or something and you know I better call we better call them right away to get myself my my name cleared, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, we get those all the time too. But they're always using, they're all, the threat they have in there for us Canadians is that our social insurance number is has is, is, go, is in jeopardy or whatever. Well, in Canada, we don't necessarily use our social, our social insurance number is just an identifier. It's not, doesn't, isn't tied to us monetarily anywhere, right? Like not, so um, it's sort of, it's like a, it's, it's just like it's a, it's a birth date or it's, you know, it's your middle name. It's kind of a, just another factor for ident- identifying who you are. I mean, everybody, every in Canada has a social insurance number 
but it's not like like you. I think you call it social security, and and what do you what do you you, you have a number similar like that in the states, right? Yeah, social security number. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, it's just it's just like a number, right? Um, but these these broken English text messages that we get or or voicemails that we get seem to think that that holding that number over our heads is a threat. It's not. But um, so we have like a, like here our IRS is the CRA Canadian Revenue Association something else in French, but um, to log into that website, you know, when it comes time to do my taxes, which is soon for us, um, April, I think April, you guys are 15th, we're there 30th, I think, right? We're filing taxes? Yeah, April 15th. Yeah, we, we're on the, we have till the 30th, but... Um, Slackers. They, huh? I was going to say, shouldn't they be like March 15th or something, <laughs> <laughs> following the normal pattern? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a different date, isn't it? Doesn't it just qualify as being like off from off by one with you guys? Anyway, um, or in November or something, but... Uh, uh, where I was going with this is so so when you when you log into the site you can you can use a username and password for one thing but you can you can also say I'll use my TD Bank or my Royal Bank or my Scotia Bank identity to let me in so what it does is it switches you over to to your bank website you log in there and use whatever authentication system they have set up there and then it brings you back to the CRA and now the CRA knows who you are because the bank is is basically notarizing your identity right or authentic or what do you call it um, what's that word we don't like in macOS development these days, uh, where you have to get your your apps like notarized. Notarized. notarized, yeah, notarized. Is what I'm saying, yeah. So you're so there's a there's a there's a, a, a software company that's been stood up that that works with all the banks. That's kind of sort of how they're all connected together. So it, my my point is that we have this one sort of digital ID that that we're moving towards to have you know one single way of identifying or a sort of unified way of identifying who you are, right? Not a single way, but just you know like to make it easier for the government to know that it's me and not you and or some Chinese hacker or Russian hacker, right? So it makes it easier for the government to track you down when the shit hits the fan, right? Yeah, yeah. But it also makes it easier for them to pay my medical bills, too. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the man. The man's impressive. Luckily, me, man. we don't have that problem here in the U.S. That's true. You don't have to, wor- don't have to worry about uh, <laughs> unified medicine. That's medicine. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it has its trade-offs, right? Yes, yes, we can get our kidney replaced, but 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 there's like a really long waiting list for it, you know? Um, that's, the, that's the sad part of unified medicine or socialized medicine, right? Which is one step away from communism, if you listen to certain parts of the United States. Anyway, just I'm just curious as, as to whether you guys have a single single sort of factor or single way of identifying who, who nope. you are. We don't. It, because in Starfleet, you know, when Starfleet takes over, we're, we're not going to have to have money in... Wasn't it, wasn't it right, Hami, in Spotcast territory? We, we don't have to have um, currency and things like that in the future? That's uh, that's what they said in Gene Roddenberry's uh, utopian vision. Right, that's, right. that's true. Um, so, Tim, we don't have something like that, but the analogous things I can think of that are going around globally, uh, I don't know if this is tied to systems of any sort, but on the Japanese side, there's um, an equivalent to like the American social security number, like some sort of identifier of you as an individual that's going around and people are having to add it somehow. I'm not familiar with the details, clearly, um, to their their bank accounts and other stuff or, or tied to that for authorization. And the other yeah. thing I can think of is in the United Kingdom, where uh, if anybody's ever heard of PSD2 for Payment Services Directive 2, uh, largely around um, open banking and that initiative over there in the United Kingdom. Um, I think what is probably going to happen, if, if people know better uh, for Canada, let me know. The United Kingdom has gone with um, OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect right, as the right. authorization and the authentication mechanism that's powering, uh, as standards, powering the uh, the open banking. So it wouldn't surprise me that, uh, th- that they would be using something like OpenID 
Connect or Open ID Connect itself for this where, oh, you claim to be Tim Mitra for random government service. That's cool. We're going to redirect you to your bank. Your bank authenticates you and provides the authenticated claims about you, that user, back to the government service. And they're like, yep, this looks good. We verified that, yes, these identities claims did in fact come from that bank and that they've not been tampered with. So that's cool. We'll continue on. It's kind of like a like a web single sign-on experience if people have had that in corporate environments. Right. Yeah, I was going to mention the, the single sign-ons. It, those seem to be gathering steam and getting more and more usage in the corporate world. Things like Okta, for example, where you have one one uh, centralized identity provider, I suppose, uh, that all sorts of different services can use. And so you only have to sign on once and, and it gets you into all sorts of different services, even if they're not in your own company. So I could see that growing and becoming a bigger thing where you could eventually say you work with a couple of different banks, you could have a single sign-on that works with both of them and eventually the government as well. So we have more of a, in typical US fashion, we have more of a privatized version of it coming on its own right, as opposed right. to a officially sanctioned government version. Hmm. All right, uh, moving on. I think we need to look at our, um, see, how do we do this? So we've done it again, Jaime. <laughs> what do you mean we've done it again? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm a vaguely... <laughs> Vaguely participatory participants in this. So you're talking about Swift Crypto, right? Uh-huh. Do, do you want to make that a pick? Well, did you look at my pick? Of course, and I saw actually, your pick. It actually wasn't I, my pick either. It was Greg's stealth pick that I picked up for him. I am fine deferring to your your uh, as long as you talked through it and you 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 put your own twist on the on the on the Greg Heo uh, thing that I that I like to do. Why don't you talk about yours, and then when we get, I'll just I'll just glaze over it with my pick, but because uh, I do want to give no, I'm not. <laughs> this more amuses me than anything else. Yeah, yeah. No, like we've done it again. Me. I'm like Tim. <laughs> It was we in there. Week. You go check the go check the. I know. I'm just, check the I'm, just, I'm, looking on this, I'm looking on this Google Doc here. Where do you find the revision so I can find out who actually p- pasted the link in first? You know, uh, file version history. File <laughs> version history. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what 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 happened, Tim. Yeah. is almost certainly because we have we've gone off the rails here <laughs> there are 53 pages in this document yeah <laughs> and yeah. what probably happened as it does happen to me is your your iphone your ipad or even your mac mm-hmm. was just ever so slightly slow to no, I reconcile for, the I changes always, i always open it up and i wait for it to catch up before i start pasting stuff in because i know so you, you think are. you did and i've had that happen before yeah and it just you know does its thing is it's reconciling in conflict resolution and how to deal with the changes. Dive in with your next pick, which is Swift Crypto. That's what I'm just sort of saying. I'm laughing because you and Greg picked it at the same time. So I'm pretty sure Greg posted it before you post, You posted yours. Oh, probably. Yeah. He's got a commute I, I just, and I don't, so he probably well, gets up earlier than I do in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I just picked up his his uh, his pick and, and slapped it in here. Anyway, so yeah, so dive in. I'm just... Uh... Yeah, so speaking of security, <laughs> the fine individuals over at Apple and on the Swift team are introducing Swift Crypto and open source project for the Swift ecosystem, which will provide platform independence for the crypto package, which is pretty cool. So all of the cool stuff that the Apple crypto kit provides you that handles cryptography, uh, just to be clear, we're not talking about cryptocurrency. We're talking about cryptography, you know, AES, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And rather than rolling your own, which is always a terrible idea, you can use Apple's. And if you're using Swift in something that's not an Apple platform, like for example, Swift on the server, you can just import crypto and get the Swift package which is, is pretty cool. So there are some kind of weirdo details here that I'm kind of curious on what your guys' thoughts are. Um, so if 
you are using the Swift Crypto on an Apple platform, you'll just end up using um, the Crypto Kit under the covers. If you are in a non-Apple platform, it will use um, what they're calling here a complete greenfield implementation of those same APIs using Google's boring SSL as the underlying implementation of the cryptographic primitives. And they include a lot of words here about how this is good from a, you know, having uh, multiple implementations that have the same underlying test suite to verify that, you know, you wouldn't see differences between one or the other. It strikes me as surely there is a different reason for that. Like, you know, they can include the underlying crypto libraries uh, within macOS, within iOS as an example, but not necessarily with other platforms. So this is almost like a, uh, hey, we can just save some disk space by not having to include multiple copies of the same library, just dynamically link to the library we want. On the platforms we don't control, we have to, you know, bring everything with us sort of thing. Did you guys read that into, into their description of uh, CryptoKit? Sorry, uh, Swift Crypto? I thought they talked about this at WWDC, actually, Swift Crypto, didn't they? They, they might have talked about CryptoKit. CryptoKit, right. CryptoKit, that's what I... Uh, well, I was actually going to talk about CryptoKit. Yeah. CryptoKit, but yeah. Yeah, the name is a little confusing. So my understanding is CryptoKit will continue to be sort of the, the underlying mechanism for right. Apple platforms, iOS, macOS, so on and forth, OS. But if you're running, say, Swift on the server on like a Linux platform, you would end up using Swift Crypto. And you, I, I think ideally you'd end up using Swift Crypto even on macOS to get the same uh, same source code and uh, hypothetically the same results. And that's sort of what I was kind of poking at. It. Like, it's kind of weird that they don't just open source that Maybe there's reasons they can't. Maybe there's reasons they don't want to fully re-implement. It just struck me as it would be kind of nice if it was exactly the same code. So pros and cons are all exactly the same versus here's this implementation of Swift Crypto. If you're running on this platform, it uses CryptoKit, which has, you know, its own bugs. Mm -hmm. And if you're on this other platform, like on a Linux server, you're using Swift Crypto, but that uses this other independent implementation. That struck me as a little weird, mm -hmm. but I, I'm, I don't know if it'll ever be an issue in the future, just raising the, the question. But on the brighter side, it is really cool that this is becoming something out there that people can use because, again, can't repeat this enough. It is always a bad idea to roll your own crypto. Please, please, please use right. the stuff provided by the platform. And in this case, the platform is more open than just the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, I think people have been asking Apple to sort of step up and get involved in this particular area for a long time and good to see that they finally have. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah, mm -hmm. continuing the theme of security that's sort of accidental for this, this week's episode. Um, we did have the Super Bowl, the uh, the championship game for the National Football League in America, for American football. And one of the ads, and I did see this ad, was from Dashlane, which is a password manager. Folks may or may not be familiar with it. I've not used it myself. My understanding is that it's, you know, kind of what you would expect from something like a LastPass 1Password. But this particular article from Wired.com is uh, entitled, Dashlane's Super Bowl ad proves password managers have arrived. Oh. And for okay. folks who didn't see the, uh, the article, there's uh, somebody crossing, somebody who's presumably died and, and trying to cross the River Styx. Oh, really? <laughs> With the, uh, I always forget what the Grim Reaper's name is in that one. It's like Charbon, Charbon. Chiron or something like that? Chiron, Chiron? yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Chiron is like cool. Color commentary. Uh, there you go. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we can't let you into uh, into the, the proper afterlife uh, unless you give us your password that, that lets you in. The guy's like, is it this? No. Is it that? No. And nope. Well, I guess you're not getting in. The premise being 
you don't have to forget your password because a password manager like Dashlane can remember it for you, mm-hmm. even in this situation. Have you ever when heard cross- of Dashlane before the Super Bowl? I had, but I, yeah. it's, I think of LastPass and and um, and uh, One Password as sort of the ones that come to mind first, right? One Password, obviously, but LastPass I hear from time to time. But I had heard of Dashlane in the past. Hmm. Yeah, I'd never heard of. Them. I'd heard of it as well, but I I'm having a look at the the website they have for trying it says to see. It's been around since 2012, so yeah, it's a little bit newer than than LastPass or One Password. But I didn't know what the UI. Oh, okay, okay, I've never seen this before, but the UI is kind of what you would expect. I'm looking at their website. What's in, is it Dashlane.com or something? Dashlane.com, that's right. So my understanding is they did get uh, a round of investment before this at some point. And so with the uh, reported $5.6 million for 30 seconds of Super Bowl ad time, I think that's Wired's premise here that, uh, you know, trying to bring password managers into the mainstream is being moved ahead, if nothing else, by uh, by Dashlane. Awareness, at the very least. Right, right. I think longtime listeners to this show will know that I've uh, espoused the virtues of password managers and 1Password itself, which I am a user of. Uh, friends of the show, too. Anyway, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's good to see that you're right. It's like when you start seeing this stuff uh, in the mainstream, it's when uh, you realize hopefully people are going to start paying attention and not have the name of their dog as their password. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if Dashlane has this, but there's stuff like, you know, 1Password has uh, family plans where you can manage passwords as an, almost like as if you're an administrator for your family. I know for certain that LastPass has this for uh, corporate environments. Uh, I assume there's something similar for, for Dashlane, but it's it should never be the case that you're ever having to think of a new password and heaven help you remember a new password for a random site here. Right, right. Um, and you don't want to repeat. I mean, what I like about 1Password, and I'm sure the other guys do it too, is they, they will tell you which sites you're repeating the same password on. They also have a gatekeeper feature where if uh, a site is compromised, they'll tell you that the site's compromised and you should change this password. So, And they also tell you whether or not a site uh, offers two-factor authentication as well. And you can, in the case of 1Password, you can use them as the as the holder of the key as well, right? The, th- the second factor. You just hope that they don't get hacked, right? Well, so as I understand it, they have a master key for you, but they don't have the they don't they can't unlock things for you, right? So and that's by design, right? So yeah, you just don't don't lose your master key, and then they do give you a, a rescue, you know, um, chunk of information, whether it's like a big long string or QR code or something, you, you print out and stick in your safe or somewhere, you know, a square with some so that you can get to it if you ever had to, right? Um, but they kind of don't have the salt themselves to, to unlock your, your stuff. So like, it's up to you to hang on to that. So, and I think that's part of the reason, the, again, that's probably part of the design in that if they ever did get compromised, they can't reveal your information to somebody from some third party, right? As long as you don't, you know, have your fluffy dog's middle name as, as your main password, you know, your one password, as it were. In our, in our little cinematic universe here, it would be horribly inappropriate to let this opportunity go by to say so the pass the combination is one two three four five that's the stupidest combination i've ever heard in my life that's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage which is a quote from dark helmet from Spaceballs. okay <laughs> this is why we need uh this is why we need the the drums rim shot for this sort mm. of this sort of hilarious yeah, that post. yeah we'll put a link in the show notes there's two there's two dark helmet links in the next episode of spotcast so coming up anyway tune in folks to find, to find out the reveal of what that is okay you got one more here jaime yeah, this one is from 9to5Mac, and they're saying that in the latest beta release, it was of what, Xcode 11.4 beta, hmm. is showing options for developers to sell Mac and iOS apps as a single purchase Nice on the app stores. Um, there is a cost, as there 
there always is a price to magic. Um, apparently the, uh, which ID is it? Is it the bundle identifier? Yes. The bundle identifier must be the same. So if you, Mm -hmm. if you have an existing Mac app that might cause some issues for you, but if you don't have one uh, or are willing to migrate it over, you too can participate in the singular purchase magic. Well, isn't this a, a response to the fact that if you had brought your iPad OS app over to Mac OS with that new migration, uh, what was it called? Catalina? No. Project Catalyst? Catalyst. Thank you. Um, yeah. The, the big challenge was that you would have to sell the, you'd have to have a separate price for the new Mac app. But now it sounds like you can, you can have the same, yeah, it does talk about the iPad app up here. It does have the ability to have the one price that, that fits all in terms of uh, you've already paid for it on the iPad. Why would you have to pay for it again on the Mac, right? Especially since for all intents and purposes, it's pretty much the same code, right? Like I, I know like for instance, with me, I have one password on my Mac and then I have one password on my iOS devices and I had to make two separate purchases to get that, right? So, and they weren't trivial purchases either. Yeah. And it, it, it says here that um, paid upfront apps benefit and in-app purchases can also be shared across iOS and Mac. Mm-hmm. So I think um, a, a very common thing I'll say on the show is I'm very glad that this is an option. I really hope it doesn't become like rule of law that you verily you cannot sell them separately if you want to. I, I think mm, the market right. should decide that. Yeah. I certainly would appreciate the ability to have a singular purchase, especially for something that is um, not so much like, wow, this is an app I'm purchasing it with scare quotes, purchasing for Mac and and, a, and an app with scare quotes that I'm purchasing for iOS or iPadOS, mm-hmm. but more of a, I am subscribing to this service. I pay my X bucks per month and I would just like to be able to seamlessly be able to have that work across all of my devices. Right, right. right? I think that's a legitimate thing that the developers should be able to offer and I'm, I'm glad to see this uh, coming to fruition. Well, here's another sidebar that I was actually going to talk about on the show, but I didn't I didn't put a link and I just realized now is that um, for the last week I have been, I've been, the last two weeks I guess, I've been delving into Paul Hudson's hacking Mac OS books that I bought a couple of months ago. Um, talked about it on the show back then and so what it is is uh, he's done, he's basically taking his formula for writing books and he's applied it to Mac OS applications. So um, the first book or the, the book essentially talks about you writing uh, basically simple, relatively simple apps for AppKit and so learning a little bit more about AppKit for those of us who hadn't really spent a lot of time in it recently. Um, you know, I've been, I'd looked at uh, Mac development when Code Warrior was around back in the day and I looked at it again a few times in, in the last 10 years, but uh, never really you know, pulled the trigger on it. But yeah, this book was uh, was a welcome thing to sort of go in and, and now try out Swift in Mac development. And um, just this last week, he published a, and again, if you had bought the book at the time, you would have got this for free because he does free upgrades just like uh, Ray and, and a few other companies do. Um, you would have gotten the Swift UI for Mac OS update. Uh, so there's a um, Swift UI update edition. So I've been spending the last couple of days going through the just a couple of example apps that he's built put in there. So he's taken the same apps that you, he wrote, he taught you how to write with, with AppKit, and now he's um, doing it with SwiftUI, which is kind of cool because, you know, SwiftUI is pretty close to the ground in terms of what we're going to be doing in the future with, you know, iOS and watch development and TV development, right? So um, I highly recommend, and I'll put a link in the show notes to his book. Uh, but yeah, oh, yeah, so just definitely check that out. Um, it should have been a pick of mine, but um, it's been an interesting exercise to go through and, and create uh, and, and learn how SwiftUI actually makes it, uh, I'm doing air quotes, easier to do um, Mac OS development because, again, the challenges with Mac OS development is, is you know, knowing about the menu and knowing about the, the window metaphor and, uh, you know, keyboard commands versus touch commands and that kind of stuff. But um, it doesn't go into great depth in that sense. 
sense, but it, but it's kind of nice to see SwiftUI being applied to macOS development. That's my sidebar. Any thoughts, questions, nothing? No, I'm not familiar with those because I haven't uh, reviewed the content there. Cool. All right, so let's move on to the picks. And um, this is where I was sort of going with, with uh, my discussion about the fact that we, we seen, Jaime and I seem to sort of land on the same subject matters throughout the week, um, even though we're hours apart and live different lives. Um, uh, I picked up a... I don't know. This kind of goes back to my theory that you two are actually the same person that I was talking about a few months back. Well, here, here's, the, here's the thing, though. How do, you, how do you know that I'm not Greg? Because you've never actually seen me and Greg in the same room at the same time. Is that true? Which of us are you directing that to? Because I have seen you and Greg yeah, but at the Mark same has. time. But uh, uh, getting I, back we, to the... I have. We had dinner once in San Francisco a couple years back. Did we? Yeah. Was that, was that at a Mexican was that... restaurant, the three of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. How do you know that Greg didn't hire some old guy to be an actor? He might have. to be me. That's true. He might have. Yeah. That would right. be some. That would be like Greg to do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the loophole that, that came up before I'm, I haven't met. Yeah. You know, everybody well, on this gotta, very gotta show. Keep, but... keep, in mind, keep in mind this one statistic, right? I'm the only person... Well, so I used to be the only person who had met everybody on the show. The only other person who has met everybody who's been on the show is Greg. So... Da, da, da. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't do any verification, like, passports. You didn't do any two-factor been... authentication. You didn't ask for my, you know, digital ID or anything like that, right? Or passports. Yeah, you didn't ask to see our Canadian That would have been a good one. An, an easy slip-up would be for you to not have a Canadian passport. Yeah. Right. Oh, or so, no, so you're saying latest, we right? should start asking mm-hmm. you all our hard, swift questions? Um, you can ask them. <laughs> yeah. You can ask them. Yeah. Um, channeling Greg, or actually watching Greg on Twitter, I saw he, he actually, and uh, so, so Jaime made an interesting slip up earlier. He said, never roll your own crypto, right? Which is what the subject matter of Greg's twit tweet earlier this week was, because he announced that, uh, to me anyway, that that uh, Apple was rolling out, uh, um, and he linked to the same page that uh, that Jaime linked to with the uh, Swift Crypto page uh, from Swift.org. Um, but I also followed up with uh, with a quick article. It just so happened I was talking to one of the colleagues at work who's, who's doing some Mac development, um, and he was asking a little bit of about cryptography and stuff like that. So I was trying to point him towards Rob Napier's work and that kind of stuff. And uh, lo and behold, this just showed up. And so uh, this is just two days ago. I just got on the got on the streetcar and, and uh, read this and posted and sent it over to him on Teams. Um, but um, uh, Paul Hudson has an, has a sort of hands-on example of how to use uh, Swift Crypto and CryptoKit, uh, which is kind of nice. It's just a really quick little uh, try-it-yourself sort of tutorial, a um, couple of lines of code, and you've got yourself, uh, you're, you're adding Swift Crypto to your, or you're adding the crypto to your project and, uh, you know, you're basically creating a hash string and then you're reading back that hash string, which is kind of how crypto works. But uh, yeah, so because I was talking to the guy about what I'd learned from Rob Napier a couple of years ago at uh, 360i Dev about, um, you know, crypto salting and encrypting and, you know, not don't handle, like when somebody gives you a, a password in an app, he was recommending that you basically salt it and encrypt it right away. So you're never dealing with the plain text version of, of a person's password. Um, even, you know, even when you send it over to the server, it's it's already and stored. It's already already encrypted. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, that was my my first first two picks, I guess, if you will, is is this uh, Swift Crypto one is it from a tweet by Greg, and the second one is a tweet from Paul Hudson, which I'll have a link to the show notes. Uh, speaking of Twitter and things that I find out on Twitter, Marin just yesterday posted a teaser video of a product that he's got coming out called Timeline, which is nice. And of course, you know, if you if you're interested in trying it out, you can you can ping Marin, and uh, he will uh, he will uh, hopefully let you into it. But uh, yeah, so he's got this landing page called Timeline.tools. But what's cool about it, he's got a little video on there, and this is this is working with Combine or React. It's working with with the whole publisher subscriber kind of um, metaphors in your app. But what it's what's interesting about it is it 
it will visually create a, a, a it's basically an instruments tool that fits into your into your Xboard instruments that will give you a graphic inter, um, representation of the threads that are running in your app right so as you as start things start to load up you'll kind of like you know how you see those timeline graphs where you get like a bar that moves across in, in time and you know as a process starts up it'll build a bar and then as it finishes it'll sort of close off the bar and then you get this sort of timeline sort of view of it or time lanes in this case so um, just a quick little video here if you look on click on the link you can see i don't know if you guys have clicked on it and looked at it but uh quick little video to demonstrate how how this is going so marin sent me over the code for me to try out so now i just have to go build a combined project to try it out in. so that's my three picks i think i got the the idea from the video that you can hook into the um, i apologize because i'm not super up to speed on combine you can hook into the the life cycle of these subscriptions and that's where time lane is able to start mapping out what's happening yes that's exactly right yeah 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 right so so you do have to do something it's not like it just automatically uh views everything that you're doing like you have to put in the instrumentation to see what's happening there yeah right? i mean the steps to get it to go going in your app are is one you have to install the instrument into into um into your xcode and then you have to uh have a project that uses com- the combined sort of flow with the publisher subscribers and create and add this in and then add in the time lane and then uh and then basically run run you know the, the analyzer in uh, instruments to see what's going on yeah that's kind of cool that's pretty cool I'd, I'd actually like to try this out for some stuff sure nobody get them yep uh so off to you Jaime. my pick is from swiftdoc.org on github which is run by uh, matt triple t thompson mm-hmm. who has open sourced swift doc a command line utility to generate documentation for swift projects mm-hmm. and it's similar-ish in concept if folks remember jazzy uh, another generator that worked with uh, i think objective c and swift if i'm not mistaken that would generate um like html style documentation for you in this case swift doc is a way to generate documentation that ends up going into um, markdown formats. And it seems to work pretty well. I tried it on some example projects that I pulled off of, uh, of GitHub to just see what it does. Um, and comparing it to Jazzy, which granted I have not used in a handful of years, uh, it seemed like it was a little bit faster. And I really appreciated the fact that it was doing markdown so that you can have your representation a little bit separated out if you said, yeah, we don't really need to actually have this become HTML files or you have um, generators that will generate HTML in a very particular format from Markdown. Um, I don't have a, a good example of those, but there are like a million of them. So that this is nice. I think something that people can can take a look at because it seems to handle um, protocols and generics and interfaces uh, pretty well. A little bit better than, than granted to be fair, the few years ago Jazzy. Right. Cool. Yeah, try it out. You can build it from from source. You can get it from Homebrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it says on the tin. Yeah. I'm glad you tried it out because I was going to ask you if you'd, if you'd given it, given it a shot. Yeah, I don't remember it? what project I pulled down as the example. Uh, I probably just searched for Swift Lang on GitHub and said, this one looks like one I recognize. Let me run it on this. Right. Is there a Docker file here too? Hmm. Docker file. I do know oh. that they have a GitHub action, if that's what you're looking at. If, you're, if, you're, yeah, maybe. if your eyes were attracted to the YAML, as, as folks who have done Docker stuff before are yeah. well aware of as a format. Oh, yes. Uh, the action. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, there's other experimental command line tools for uh, documentation coverage, uh, API inventory, API diagramming 
that I have not tried myself. Right. So your kilometerage may vary, but the, the documentation side of it seemed pretty nifty. These are the API grid diagrams you've got at the bottom of the readme? Yeah, which doesn't surprise me that it's using GraphViz to mm-hmm. visualize that. That's uh, a tool out there that, that folks might remember. But pretty old tool, I think, GraphViz, mm-hmm. but one that uh, that still does the job. Is it similar to uh, uh, like uh, Graph OmniGraphle? Not quite. It's I, I don't know if there are, uh, maybe there are visual editors for this, but I mostly think of GraphViz as being a way to take textual representations mm-hmm. of graphs, like mm-hmm. stuff you could you could put in plain text files. Um, and it, it, that describes relationships. And then GraphViz creates um, probably pings and SVGs, I would guess, for formats. Yeah, you can uh, see in the, in the, the diagram example we've got here, like what you're saying is got the, gra- the the textual version of it and then showing what it looks like rendered out. Like you you, de- you declare the type of like you data request, but you say it's in a shape box and then create a cluster and it, it renders them. Hmm, yeah, uh, not not too dissimilar from uh, plant UML, if anybody's ever used that older format. Hmm, never heard of it. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, documentation is always a challenge, right? Because, you know, people hate writing it and people, other people need it. Okay, now, rum roll, please, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Rubin has got a pick for us. I do have a pick. I hope you're suitably uh, appreciative of this pick, Tim. We are, like, yeah. like drum roll, you know. Yeah, okay. No, uh, my pick is actually in the Xcode 11.4 beta, Apple's introduced something that we've all wanted for a very, very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the ability to simulate a push notification in the simulator. Ta-da. What? Whoa! Yeah. That yeah. would have solved so what? much of my problems. This, this is huge. This is new. This has been something that people have wanted for ten years, roughly. Uh, and Apple has finally done it. Uh, the way it works is you create a file that they're calling an APNS file for a good reason. Uh, that is essentially just a, a JSON file with a, with a couple of special keys uh, that that have the uh, the target bundle, for example, that tell you tells it what uh, what app it works with. And this there's two ways to simulate the push notification. If you just have the simulator open and you drag and drop this file into the simulator on screen, it will cause the simulator to act as if it got a push notification with this with this JSON that you've sent. Awesome. Uh, another way is you can use XE run and there's a command that's in the in the uh, Xcode 11.4 uh, release notes that's just SE run simctl push uh, then the name of the device and then this file uh, and it will it will uh, do the same thing. So you can do that if the simulator is not actually running, if it's in the background or something like that. So this is great. This is a huge thing. I mean, this this is especially good for big development teams where where a lot of people are working on a simulator and and you're limited to the number of uh, devices that physical devices that you can have registered in your in your Apple uh, team program. Uh, and uh, so you, you know, the way we always have to do before is you have to only certain either certain people have to be testing the push notifications or you know when it's your turn to check you, you check out a device from the from the pool. And, and do your sim, do your testing there, and then give it back. Uh, now you don't have to do, it, do any more of that. You can just do it uh, directly from the simulator. Should also make Ooh. debugging these notifications much easier. I would think that you know there's a lot of you can get a lot of issues, especially when you use these like rich format ones. Those those things. Those can be but this will simulate debug. like the whole flow that we normally have to go through now with going to a sandbox to the sandbox gateway or to the real gateway kind of thing. Or yeah, really? Huh. Yeah, I've had nightmares with dealing with debugging, especially cold start yep. issues yep. with apps, which is, it's harder to, it's a hassle to configure the debugger to do it the way you want and you need a device and have it help you if like the environment is 
isn't configured the way you'd like it to be that's supposed to pump out the notifications or if you have your own uh, third-party thing that does that. This, I mean, this is great. You just have some examples and toss them into a, yeah. a repo and now everybody can be sure that, yep, it's, it works against these uh, these ones that we've been doing. Yep, yep. It's funny, you know, I was looking at the release notes earlier today and I saw oh, something, uh, something else that was new that I thought was kind of cool. Um, or about thinking of uh, iOS, the new iOS that comes along with this. Um, this this requires Catalina, right? Is that correct? Because I, I no. tried to load it up. Right? I don't believe so, no. You sure? I'm not 100% positive. Yeah. Uh, I know you can run Xcode 11 on Mojave. Well, I grabbed the beta this I grabbed the beta today and our, my machine at work is still Mojave and it would it basically had the big do not, do not enter sign through. Oh, is that right? It, okay. But okay. it does have the device support for uh, iOS 13.3 and 13.4 because 13.4 beta came out today too, right? Because um, uh, for some reason in Xcode 11.3, they don't have 13.3 profiles. So if you if you had updated your phones already, we, we've been have we've had to go in and sort of apply a mild hack to get it to work uh, with a newer device. Like a that, you know how you can't build to it with Xcode to a newer device and mm-hmm. uh, Xcode knows about. Yep. And the solution is to put the device support files from the next version of Xcode in. So um, I thought I remembered them fixing that a couple of while back, so you don't have to. So that just works. Well, see, this is this is this is where remember. where we're we're getting a little fuzzy about it because, like I said, in Xcode 11.3.1 right now, or 11.3, there is no 13.3 device support files. There's only 13.2, and yet you can still build to a device that's running uh, 13.3. So maybe they did fix something, but in the beta I just saw today, there was 13.3 and 13.4, which is interesting. But yeah, no, I mean, the push notification thing that you're right, that is that is sent from the heavens. That's huge. Too bad Apple is super secretive about this sort of stuff in general, because I really do feel like the engineer or engineers who worked on that and, and saw that to, to launch really should get beverages of their choice yeah. from the community, right? Because we've desperately wanted and needed this for a long time, and it's good yeah. to celebrate it. See, I may not have a pick too often, but when I do, it's a good one. It's Man, they are, they are winners. Yeah. They are winners. Yeah. And, and this one keeps on giving, because I searched for the text that you'd provided us mm-hmm. in in the same general area is the sim control having privacy controls mm-hmm. that you can alter so you can grant or deny or reset all permissions in the simulator to check like what if we don't have photos permission well, you can also do dark and light appearance in in the simulator in the simulator too which is nice yeah this is this is good stuff man this is the 11.4 beta wow yeah there's a lot usually in the release notes there's not a whole lot for xcode but there seem to be tons of stuff here Swift has this new call as function feature, which is kind of interesting. You can here's one. Yeah, you can you can take a screenshot now on the simulator, and it will save the image to the simulator's camera roll. Oh, that's, that's nice. Cool. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, how often do you need an image or two in your simulator, and you, you have no way to generate one? Right? Yeah, yeah. Because you could like go to Safari, get a picture of a, a rubber duck, and yeah, there were, you, there were ways to it. do it. As uh, I'd have to look up how to do it, but I think you can drag and drop into. Well, the you can drag. Yeah, you can drag from the desktop like an yeah. animal. You yeah. drag an image in there, and it would. Copy it in, but right. yeah, we had to remember how to do that or uh-huh. use sim folders to get things in and out of simulators. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. Well, the remote push notifications that's huge. Yep, hmm. nice. Thanks, Apple. Nice, cool. Wait, you know what? I forgot to. I have one pick. So I, because I, I kind of alluded to this picker earlier in the show, so we'll do it now. But um, Breaker, have you guys heard of Breaker? You haven't. See, no. I mean, it's... so it is a new podcast client for well, podcaster catcher, as they like to say, right? So, and I've been using it most of the week this week. It just came out on uh, version one point oh one. Came out uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I grabbed it and I read some tweets about it and, and grabbed it and tried to play around with it. And I was stumped at first because. 
because um, when I went to create an account, like as you know, every time I log into something, I always if there, every, every time there's like make create a username thing, I always put in my username that I use everywhere, right? And um, I went to put it in, and it wouldn't take it, right? And it said that name's already in use. So I'm like that bastard over in England. He already stole. How, how could he possibly find out about this before me, right? And so then I so I put my name in as you know whatever, and then or or and and again I got locked out uh, later on, and I tried again, so I ended up with three usernames, right? And the thing is that I had put I created a username back in June. So the question is, how did I make a username for an app that just came out? I must have met the developer at WWDC, told me about it, and I registered for a name, right? Uh, anyway, what it is is uh, basically it it has a lot of the features that other podcasters have, like Castro and Castbox and Overcast. Like you can listen at multiple speeds. Um, it'll even import, export, and import your your playlists, which other um, podcasting apps will do as well. But what I found really fascinating about this is when you search for a new podcast, it'll tell you how many subscribers are listening to that podcast, right? So I could see like, you know, for one of our episodes, how many people had actually in this app, how many people had used it. And so um, since I had to reach out to them for tech support anyway, I started talking to them about uh, like on, on, on Twitter on through direct message, some things about the app, like like not remembering making, having made this this uh, um, account in June. And, and uh, the person replying to me said, well, yeah, well, there were six of us in, at WWDC, so that does make sense, right? Um, but yeah, they're 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 not only making a, a podcast app for you know the general public to use, they're also making it for podcasters. So we'll know without the sort of black box experience that we have now, where we really don't know who's listening to our shows, right? We like, we can we can only look at the numbers and see within you know the first twenty four hours how many downloads we had, and by the end of the week how many we've had, and sort of guess how many subscribers we have, you know. Uh, but like we know the downloads, and we, but a download doesn't necessarily mean that somebody listened to the whole episode. They could have listened to the first five minutes and went, this is crap, and they're gone. But they still count as a, as a number, right? Um, but, and, you know, Apple's podcast statistics are only for people who have opted in to, to, to share that information. And that's a, it's a very small percentage of people who actually listen to our show. But, you know, along with the other metrics that you get with with uh, other stats, like, you know, what kind of devices people are using and, and that kind of stuff. But I thought it was really insightful that they're, they're willing to share with podcasters, you know, what, uh, what the usage stats are, right? And, of course, you can go, if you are a podcaster, you can go into their website and you can claim your podcast. So I've claimed Spotcast and more than just code for that purpose, right? So it's kind of kind of neat little tool. It's called Breaker and uh, give it a shot. And, you know, um, it has some of the features that other podcasters have, podcatchers have without, you know, the extra expense, if you know what I mean, saying nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So it's cool. That's my pick. You know, I didn't think that I'd heard of it, but looking around on the interwebs, I was like, oh, I actually do remember hearing about this. Yeah. A couple of days ago, uh, it was on Twitter. There was a bit of a... I retweeted about it. And, right. And, and and that makes sense. But I, I, I'd i heard about it before. And I was wondering, like, how did I hear about this before? Yeah. And uh, co-founder and CTO at Breaker is Leah Culver, mm-hmm. who I think I met when she was at Dropbox, if I want to say. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I thought Apple, but I don't see anything there um, in the history there. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't heard about it for a while, but it's uh, apparently you've, you've heard some buzz about it. Yeah. I mean, what caught my eye was like, that some... Somebody, I don't know if it was somebody who was following. Because um, when I make, when I meet people who are new at things like WWDC or conferences I go to, I usually follow them for a bit just to sort of keep up with what they're doing. 
um, for fun. Yeah, actually, so yeah, it was. Um, I was following the uh, the founder who you mentioned there. I mean, I might have met her at the women at WWC um, event that uh, was there hmm. at the you know the women breakfast thing. We may have talked about her as one of the people in the show. Let's see. Yeah, anyway, that's cool. Breaker, check it out. No, I mean, can we be hipster about it now that we were doing a podcast before it was cool? Can we make that claim? <laughs> were, were we before before Breaker was cool? You mean or no? Before podcasting was cool. Yeah, that's true. It seems like everybody's got a podcast these days. Like you know, Conan O'Brien is one of the funnier podcasts I listen to. I don't know if you guys listen to that one. The guy Kawasaki has a podcast now, and um, uh, who's the guy that wrote the um, uh, Tipping Point? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast. It's the new website. It is. It is. Well, it's new old. I mean, it's been around for how long has podcasting been around? Since the iPod, right? A really long time, depending where you you draw the line and what can be considered podcasting. Um, but yeah, it's it's been there quietly, successful. Now I'm using the actual website. How do I get to my likes now? What a mess! Oh, here we go. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? How would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at Smapsoft.com. Right. My name is Tim Mitra. T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so, until next time, we'll say bye bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This, this one sounds like it might be really interesting, but it's hard to tell because of the, the way they're written, written in this minimalist style. Uh, under debugging, the exception reason now surfaces as an editor annotation. You can inspect the exception object in variables view and find the backtrace of the original uncaught exception, if any, in the debug navigator. So does that mean that all of these crazy exceptions that just pop you all the way up to main and have no information whatsoever about what's going on mm-hmm. will now have the actual exception? in the variables view. Wait, that, yeah, that's true. That's, that is big. That would be huge if that's really the case. Yeah, we're, we're about to be reading that one. Under debugging. I had an instance like that today where it popped me back to the main thread, actually on a device, right? Mm-hmm. And it sort of pointed to the wrong thing. Yeah, I don't know how to interpret that statement as yeah. I'm reading it. It's it's a little bit vague, but mm. if you choose to believe, it will be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Man, keeps on giving. So two bullet points right above that is the view debugger now presents 
layout guides, mm-hmm. the UI layout guide and his layout guide, and yeah. they're refer- referencing constraints. That's pretty nice. I've used a UI layout guide before and have just had to guess or remember where they right. were in the view debugger. Right. Hmm. Anyway, the link I got in the show notes there for the after show is uh, how Mist almost couldn't run on CD-ROM, for those of you who remember that game. Interesting. You almost could have made this, like, I, I think it would have legitimately qualified as follow-up. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't see it until we were already halfway through the show, so it was something, when I looked at Renny Richie's thing, it was popped up on the side there. No. Unless YouTube is spying on us and watching, listening to what we talk about on the show and then putting links, movies, movie links over there. Like, Mark's always convinced that, you know, Google is following us everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, if, if they, I just saw this article today about uh, Spotify being uh, you know, really deep into the podcast realm with all of their acquisitions, and if, you know, if Apple or Spotify or Google want to purchase this very fine podcast, I'm very certain that we can come to an agreement on this topic. I like. I also like the fact that that Apple sort of seems to have lifted the uh, the shroud of secrecy over Twitter because now the um, Apple developers, such as Greg and Marin and all that stuff, are, are allowed to tweet relevant stuff. You know, they're not, like Christina Fox just joined Apple. Did you hear that one? We quoted her a few times on the show. Yeah, yeah. Apple is uh, absorbing a lot of good. I people. think you know. I think we got to say this now that listening to more than just code is a pathway to getting a job at Apple. It seems right. Work with you. Guys. I don't doubt yeah, sure. yeah. the veracity of what you're saying, but Tim, maybe you can elaborate more on this one for those those who are listening oh I there's probably like I probably noticed over the last you know three or four years or last year anyway that at least four or five people that I know who are fans of the show are now employees at Apple and they just started this year right now maybe that just means that you know a lot of people in the Apple dev community there you go with your Google conspiracy <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised Mark that you went that direction I thought you were going to go in the, the correlation, correlation not, not causation was, yeah yeah I was that's but where we I was going to go first yeah. We can say to some limited degree that there appears that there might be a very high correlation here. Well, I guess to to study that, you'd need to look at what percentage of people that join Apple listen to the podcast versus what percentage of people that join Apple do not listen to the podcast. You're not going to go with the MTG's JC bump and just sort of like live in <laughs> delusion for a bit? You can cut this part out of the show. My, my negativity, <laughs> if you want. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, where's the honesty in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to tell you, but did you guys see the story about, we didn't talk about it on the show, but did you see the story about the artist, for, I think he's Dutch, who has hacked Google Maps traffic information? Oh, yeah. I, I saw the article about that. Yeah. He has a, he has a, wag, a little red wagon and he's gone and got a hundred cell phones and he went to some part, I, I don't know where he did it, but I'm just trying to find the, the link right now, but he went and, and, and basically walked up and down a block, you know, with these, with these phones all activated to try and and, uh, ga- and influence Google Maps and and, uh, and he did he was successful right like he, he actually got the the road the section of the road that he was walking back and forth to turn red because there's obviously a hundred people jammed in that block right according to Google and Google actually was cool with with the fact that he did this right sort of a, a, a performance art piece yeah performance artist generates virtual traffic in Google Maps by pulling a wagon full of smartphones yeah he wa- he walked back and forth across a bridge to create uh, fake traffic hilarious in Berlin, and there's, there's yeah. like nobody on the road that where he did this uh, this thing. Yeah, with his like little red radio flyer style of wagon. Yeah, his name is Simon uh, Werkert. Werkert, I guess. It's with a W. The things we do. For- what else is going on in the world? Tesla stocks up. Tesla stocks down. Up in- no, sorry, right down. <laughs> Let me speak. So none of you guys saw the Splunk commercial on the su- in the Super Bowl? No, no, I I watched. Like I was using uh, my YouTube TV, and I you know part of the fun is, is 
was watching the commercials. So I paused every time I needed to like go to the bathroom or, you know, start making food or something. Yeah. So, I guess it was only in selected markets apparently. Uh, so it wasn't everywhere. Did you hear there was a TiVo, there's a TiVo setting where you can just watch the commercials? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is the version I need to use? But yeah. I did I did PVR it, but but I did notice that like as as I complained about in previous years, Rogers superimposes their um, Canadian ads over top of the U.S. ones, right? So, but now I'm starting to see that um, Smat Pack um, commercial everywhere now. Smat Pack, Ghost Cat, Packed it. Yeah, the Ghost Cat, Smat Pack, Smat Pack. Who's the big guy out the window? That's I, I didn't recognize him. Big Poppy, Big Poppy. And where's he? Yeah, from? he's Wicked Famous <laughs> in America, maybe Wicked Famous. Yeah, they have baseball over there, too. David Ortiz. You should know him oh, as the guy Ortiz. who kicks oh. the Blue Jays' ass all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd have to watch baseball to really know that. Yeah. You get talking to the wrong Canadian about that one. Yeah. He was uh, almost murdered not too long ago. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a, Pray tell. In a, it, was, it was a, uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, uh, misidentity? What's, job. What's, the word, what's the word for uh, wrong identity? They had the wrong guy. They shot the wrong guy. Um, mistaken identity. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah he was in some, he's, he's He's from the Dominican Republic. He was down there, and uh, he was in a club, and and somebody just walked up to him and shot him, almost killed him. Really? Oh. Yeah. I mean, came a couple of inches away from killing him, and it, and it was a, it was a mistaken identity. They they were going well. I guess they, they don't know for sure, but they think it was a mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. They thought it was somebody else you know, when they shot him. That's crazy. Yeah, that explanation never stood right with me. Like, because yeah. uh, he's you know maybe? he's like one of the probably the three most famous guys in the Dominican Republic. So it's hard to so so wait him. so wait so wait maybe. Maybe their AI algorithm made a mistake. Well, except it wasn't A, it was a human, right? Still. Yeah. yeah, I always found it weird of like, okay, so this pretty big celebrity, you accidentally get that dude. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, all right, I, Lopez, we need you to go take out those prison. Cool. Whoops, I accidentally hit Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, like how right. what are the odds how would that, that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where, like, I'll compare this to like somehow, Tim, I, I feel like there must be like a newsletter that like all Canadian are subscribed to or something you somehow know all of the canadians ever <laughs> like right. i don't know if there's like a secret handshake right. or you have like sunglasses well, we all, we all know, what a, servi- we all know what a serviette is and we all we all know what, what's in the <laughs> yeah. lineup right um somehow you guys you guys all know and it's like not even super famous people so i have a hard time believing that any dominican would not know david ortiz, david ortiz oh. yeah i have trouble with yeah. that too actually yeah Oh, but he was was he shot by another Dominican yeah. resident? Yeah. Or expa- yeah. Expat? Oh, he, he was he was in the Dominican Republic when it happened. Oh, oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's yeah, it's kinda of hard to believe, but who knows? That is weird, yeah. yeah. You heard that uh, Kirk Douglas passed away? Yeah, we talked about that, right? Age of one oh three. Yeah, when you're hundred and three, you know, it's it's time. Pretty 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 far along there. Yeah. Guess. Yeah. Spartacus is one of those films that's so old you can find an enormous family tree that, that goes back to it. Uh, really? Film cinema. Wise. Oh yeah? yeah, he's also in Palace of Glory, which is a family Kubrick movie. I think he did it after Spartacus, though. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> uh, oh, here is Leah Culver. You remember we were talking the other day about how um, Twitter has Twitter has an unfortunate cropping in their images? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to find this tweet from Leah Culver that says just says hello, right with a period, hello, like like Mac, hello, and it's the the cropping is showing Amazon Prime Video, which like I'm not going to click on, right? When I click on the image, is because that's the she's basically taking a screenshot of her phone showing that her her um, app is being you know featured on Apple and it's on and below it is Amazon 
Prime and Disney Plus, which, of course, have nothing to do with her app, right? So, interesting. New update. Yeah, we uh, didn't get around to it, but I uh, guess it can't be spoilers now because this is the actual part. Uh, I didn't actually get around to doing the backup and transfer. Oh, didn't you? Uh, I was too busy during the week, and then it was yeah. Super Bowl weekend, so I had I had football-y things to do. Mm. And in retrospect, I probably should have taken advantage of the first half of the game to, to do some of this Was it that bad a game? You know, oh, it, 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 it ended up being a good game. The first <laughs> yeah. half just wasn't that great. Well, it was kind of defensive. Hmm. Well, I kind of I kind of had it on, on had it on the back burner there on the TV. I was watching Doctor Who to be honest with you, like because Doctor Who's on at the same time as the game. So oh, like, do they have new episodes I had set on the PVR? Hmm? Yeah, are there are they new episodes now? Yeah, there's, there were uh, I think five episodes in or six episodes in. It's almost done. There's, I think there's only yeah, one or really. two episodes left. Yeah. So, but if you listen to this podcast, you'd know that. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it highly correlated with? <laughs> With what? <clears throat> I don't know. I was going to leave it there, but I was—I guess you could say—is it highly correlated with with being hired by uh, my large tech companies? Listening to this podcast, podcast. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it shows you you have a you know a, a certain good taste, as they might say. People self-select. That's what I'm going to go with. Why can't I find this guy's on? Oh, here it is. App Annie, the social podcast app. Well, how about that? I remember when it came out here. I'm trying to see when it came out. Oh no, it came out in. It must have been in beta in, uh, in June. 1.0 January, yeah, 1.0 January 21st, 2020. Hmm. So must have just launched, right? Breaker Breaker, the number number one social podcast app. I guess they're trying to get affinities between you and your friends, right? I could see that because discovery of stuff is still a challenge. Yeah. Just given the distributed nature of the podcast industry. Yeah. yeah. I love this. Every, every here's a, a, a like a lost leader, right? Every podcast is on Breaker. Over 700,000 podcasts available. Yeah. Because they're basically getting the feed from Apple, right? It's really weird that Apple is still largely the authoritative source as yeah. a directory. Yes, yes. Well, Google's Google's doing it now too, but you're right. Even even Google picks up from Apple's uh, feed, right? Yeah, like everybody just sort of uses that to uplift their content size and then add on their... I, I assume Spotify is doing the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's the features. Ha- ha- up to half speed or three times speed. Skip silences to save time. Dark mode and, la- and landscape mode. Offline mode and download new episodes automatically. That's their feature set. Cool. Yeah, so far, so far, so good. It seems pretty, pretty straightforward to use, and I'm enjoying it. Hmm. Cool stuff. Anyway, I guess I better run and go update this certificate before the internet finds out that it's been expired. All right, sounds good. Okay. You Talk and Microsoft later. don't want to be associated with each other for the same have same bug, right? But That's true. Better do it. <laughs> Alrighty. All right. Have a good night. Talk to you later. See you next time. Bye. Bye.